We'll turn with me, if you would, to the epistle of 1 John, chapter 5. As we are continuing our way through this first epistle of John, we have only one Sunday evening after tonight here as we come very quickly to the end of this first letter that John wrote. We'll be reading in 1 John, chapter 5, starting in verse 6 and down through verse 12. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to us. Let's go to him in prayer this evening. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this passage of scripture and the entire epistle of 1 John, how it brings us comfort as it tells us of the Lord Jesus Christ and the assurance that we can find as we look to him for our salvation. We pray, Lord, that we would see more about him and who he is, what he has done for us, and that your spirit will continue to witness along with the water and the blood to us, not only this evening, but throughout the rest of our Christian lives. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, last Lord's Day evening, if you'll remember, we looked at this idea of faith as John brings it to the fore in chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and really this experience of faith that we have, that through the new birth, through the birth from above, the birth from the Holy Spirit, that we are able to believe in Jesus Christ, we are able to love God, to love each other, we are able to obey his commands, and his commands, therefore, are not burdensome as a result of the fact that we know that we are in Christ. Well, now starting in chapter 5 and verse 6, John switches a little bit. He goes from the experience of faith and how faith transforms us and what it leads to, to really the object of faith, to Christ himself. And that's what we see there starting in verse 6. And speaking of verse 6, I must tell you that it is one of the most debated verses in the entire New Testament. If you were to put together a list of things that scholars have debated, verse 6, 1 John 5, 6 would be probably right at the head of, of the list, but it's an important thing for us to consider. And I think we'll see tonight that whether or not we can exactly understand each and every single thing that John says in that verse, the overall point that he makes is quite clear. We know that we as Christians are concerned with the truth. And we can ask, how do we know that what we believe is actually true? Well, John really begins to talk about that here with our passage this evening. So we'll look at three headings as we come to them, each in turn. First of all, the question at the beginning of verse 6, notice this again with me. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. Now, if I were to come and pull you and ask you what exactly does that mean right off the bat, I'm guessing we would get a number of different answers. And quite frankly, if we were to go to different commentaries and different scholars, different New Testament experts, and ask them what that means, we are also going to get a number of different answers. Certainly, John understood that his original audience would know exactly what he's talking about, and he didn't have to expand upon it, but sometimes we're left coming to this and thinking, okay, what exactly is going on here? 
We can say that there are certain things that are true about this verse, that are true about this passage. We can see that John wants us to see more about Christ and who he is and what he has done and to lead to our assurance in him as even the water and the blood and the spirit himself bear witness to this, testify to this. But what exactly is the problem here? What exactly was the issue that John is writing to correct? You remember that there are people in these congregations that John is writing to who have left, who are saying things that are wrong, who are bringing false teaching to people, trying to catechize and evangelize people to walk away as they have done and to go after a wrong doctrine about Jesus Christ. And John is seeking to correct that here when he talks about the water and the blood. And so we can see really there are two things here. There's one thing that's disputed and one thing that isn't. The part that is not disputed is that Jesus came by or through water. We can also see that John says that there is something that is disputed, that he came by or through blood. And there are a number of different options that really come to us here as we consider what exactly this water is. The blood seems quite straightforward. It seems to be the atoning death of Christ as he spilled his blood on the cross for the sake of his people, for all who trust in him. But the water part has caused headache after headache we could say, throughout church history. It could be, as some have said, the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist. It can be our baptism. It can mean, perhaps, the purifications of the Mosaic law or his natural birth or any number of other things. The list could go on and on as far as exactly what it is that this water is talking about. But we have to remember, as strange as verse 6 might be to our ears, this is a book and this is a passage that's meant to give us reassurance of what we have heard and therefore assurance in our salvation in Christ. It's meant to assure us of who we have and what we believe about him. So should, how should we think about this? What should we take away from this? As we're probably not going to come to the bottom of it tonight. In fact, I guarantee you we won't. What exactly are these individual words meaning? Well, we can't necessarily say for certain, but we can say what the main point is. And sometimes we come to God's word and it really forces us into humility. And of course we know, don't we, that that ought to be our place before God's word at all times, to be humble as we come to it, to recognize that we receive from it, that we do not make it say what we want it to say, and that it gives us this life that we need not because we ourselves are so great, but because the word is so much above us because it comes from God himself. Sometimes we come to very troubling passages, passages that we can't quite understand completely and perfectly, and that just helps us to remember that we should be humble as we come to Scripture, that we can't come and make this say something that we want it to say, even as we're wrestling with it, we're trying to figure out what exactly it is that John is telling us. And it seems to me that what John is really getting across to us is the fact of The life, not only the life, but the death of Christ is something that is meant to be important for us. Something that's meant to give assurance to us. Something that's meant to be witnessed to. And so in a sense, there might be more than one option that's meant by the water itself. As we think about what it is that Jesus did, who he is, and what we believe about him, we see that this has something to do with his experience. That Jesus is the one who came with, or perhaps we can say through, the water and the blood. And so it has something to do necessarily not with us and our experience of him, but what he himself experienced in his life and in his death. It seems perhaps that John is really getting at this idea of his ministry beginning by being baptized by John in the River Jordan. But perhaps there's something else going on here as well. 
Perhaps this water has a double meaning because as we turn to John's gospel, we realize this is the only gospel that mentions a certain event that happened at the crucifixion and death of Jesus. We read in John chapter 19, starting in verse 34, One of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. Now, I probably don't need to tell you that that sounds almost word for word like some of the things we read in 1 John 5. And as John is the only one who is saying these things as a gospel writer, and he seems to be uh, alluding to water and blood here and testifying and truth, and so that we may believe, as we'll see even next Sunday, Sunday evening, it seems to me that he is, again, really bringing to bear the fact that Jesus actually died. So we aren't given exactly a sentence, a word-by-word description of what the false teachers were saying, of what they had rejected, of what they had walked away from, but perhaps it seems that we could narrow it down to the fact that they were denying in some way, shape, or form that Jesus Christ had come and died for the sins of his people. He had come and that he had shed blood, because that truly is the point. And we can have different opinions on what exactly the water means, but ultimately what Jesus is telling us through John, through his apostle, is the fact that he came and that he shed blood, that he came not through water only, but through water and through blood. A reminder that Jesus came and died, that he came from heaven, and this was his experience on earth, that each and every single thing that he was doing on this earth, the miracles he was performing, the things he was teaching, all the things that we read about in the Gospels, all the things that we don't even read about in the Gospels, the things that we don't know about from his life on this earth, They were ultimately leading towards that one day, 2,000 years ago, when he was crucified outside of Jerusalem, where he became the atoning sacrifice for the sins of all who trust in him. But this is what Jesus was working for, his blood being shed. And so what John is telling us here in chapter 5, verse 6, as he comes to this and he shows us what the object, who the object of our faith is, he is reminding us that this is not just a Jesus who came and lived, but this is a Jesus who came and lived and lived and died. And he died in the place of his people. He died as a sacrifice. And without Christ's atoning death, we can have no eternal life, and we can have no assurance of it. That is John's main point here in the beginning of verse 6. So this is the question. And perhaps, like me, you're somewhat unsatisfied because you want all the details. You want to know exactly what these things mean in the exact order that John wanted to give it to us. But we do see the big point. Jesus came not just through water, but he came through blood as well. And so that leads us to our second heading this evening. The witnesses starting at the end of verse 6 down through verse 8. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. And he goes on to tell exactly what that testimony is as he begins to see what the benefits of Christ's life and death are for his people. But we see here these witnesses, or these three who testify. And so as we've already seen, the water cannot be necessarily narrowed down to one specific thing, but really seems to be, together with the blood referencing Christ's life and death, we see that those are two of the three witnesses here along with the Spirit. And so what exactly is going on here? Boys and girls, if someone came along to you and said, I have three witnesses who are going to tell you something that happened, what are you meant to do with that information? Are you meant to not care? Are you meant to disregard it, to think it's false? 
Well, no, you're meant to pay attention to it. In fact, we find this throughout really the Old and the New Testament, that ultimately the truth of something is brought about by two or three witnesses coming together and agreeing in their testimony about something that happened. That really, that's what John is doing here. He is showing that there are three witnesses who agree, agree, three who agree about this important idea of eternal life, as I'll get to it in just a moment. The testimony that we have is sure, in other words. Remember how John began this epistle months ago from our perspective, but just a few words ago from the perspective of those who heard it for the first time. That Jesus came physically, that he himself had been seen and heard and touched by the apostles, by those who had come, like John, to bring his message of salvation to the entire world. John is reinforcing that here at the end of his letter, and he's saying not only is that the case, not only are we witnesses, but the life and the death of Jesus Christ is also a witness to what it is that we have said. And so we can ask at this point, how can this testimony be in us? If this testimony is in us, isn't there something strange going on? Because we know that we weren't there. That John's original audience weren't there either. How exactly could this be? What exactly is he getting at here when he talks about the testimony themselves? Well, it's this idea of the testimony coming from outside of us. Of us hearing the gospel, even from the beginning, even as those who in in John's day, in the letter to 1 John, had heard it from the beginning who are wondering, who are doubting, who are hearing these things and know these people who have walked away, and they are receiving this testimony, they are believing it, they are internalizing it, they are resting upon it, they are accepting it. That's really what John's getting at here. This is something that's testimony that's authoritative. It's powerful, and it comes to us, and it's meant to be believed. It's meant to be internalized. Even as we saw this morning in the prophecy of Joel that we are meant to remember that just because we are outwardly a part of the people of God does not mean that we are actually believing in God as our Savior, believing in Christ as our Savior. John is coming at this from a little bit different angle this evening. In order to have insurance, he's telling us, you have to remember that there are these witnesses, that Christ's life and death witnesses to the gospel that John is coming to proclaim, and that you are to believe that, you are to internalize that, you are to rest on that and have assurance as a result of that, because there is no salvation and there is no assurance without Christ's life and death in the place of his people. John is reminding us this of this here towards the end of his epistle as he comes to the part where he's winding down, where he's about to tell them exactly why it is that he wrote this epistle. He wants them to be ultimately sure about the things that he has said. That sure, false teachers and antichrists and those who leave can come and say certain things. They can come and tell you certain things. They can come and try to convince you that their way is the right way, that they have seen the lights. But look to the life and death of Jesus. This is a witness to you. And beyond even that, the Spirit witnesses, as John tells us. And again, in 1 John, the Spirit pops up at very important points. And he does very specific things. We can ask, what does the Holy Spirit do? And the answer is a lot. But one thing that the Holy Spirit always does in these times is testify to Jesus Christ himself. We read in John's Gospel in chapter 15, verse 26, But when the Helper comes, as Jesus says, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. He will bear witness about me. That's what the Spirit does. Sure, he does other things other than that. 
And oftentimes we're looking for the more flashy things that he does, perhaps, or the things that we at least believe that he is capable of doing. That we're looking for miracles that we can see people rising from the dead and being healed and the sun standing still and all these wonderful things that God, through the Spirit, has done in the history of redemption. But ultimately, the most miraculous thing the Spirit does day in and day out is testify to Jesus Christ. To testify to his life and death to bring us this news, this testimony, to witness to it with authority and with power. That's what we should be looking for the Spirit to do in this time. It's interesting to us, isn't it? We live in a time and place where we say we are going to uh, witness to someone or we're going to give a testimony. And quite frankly, what that means is some sort or another of an autobiography. What God has done for me, what Christ has done for me. And I'm not saying there's not a place for that, certainly. We can't come here and think that's exactly the same language, the same terminology that's being used, the same idea that's being communicated here in 1 John 5. What John is saying here is that the spirits in the life and death of Jesus Christ testify to Jesus Christ himself. They come and bring the message of who he is and what he has done, of the only message that can truly give us assurance because it's the only message that can give us salvation, that can give us eternal life as Christ brought it to us. And so the Spirit testifies. And he's testifying to the things that these people have heard from the beginning. Remember, if you would, from uh, chapter 2, another place where John talks about the Spirit and the fact that he comes and he brings us assurance. And we read in 1 John 2, starting in verse 24, that what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And if you remember from weeks and weeks back, that anointing really seems to be the Holy Spirit here. And so what John is doing, even as we considered last Sunday, that what he does is he doesn't take us on a straight line with a few rabbit trails off to the side like Paul does, that he takes us on a spiraling staircase. And we're continually coming back to the same point that we thought we just were at, yet we're higher and we have a better vantage point because we're building on what we've done before. We see that John is coming here and saying, this same spirit who is the anointing that you have, who has taught you all these things, who is witnessing of these things that you have heard from the beginning, he is witnessing even in a more powerful way. He is witnessing alongside the life and death of Jesus Christ. And so don't believe anyone if they come to you and say that they have the Spirit, as many people will if they haven't already. If they come to you and say that they have the Spirit and they're able to do all these wonderful, miraculous things and they have this wonderful message from God, but if they don't believe and teach the right things about Jesus, then the Spirit they have is a different Spirit than what we read about in the New Testament. It's a different spirit than the Holy Spirit of God himself who testifies to us about the life and the death of Jesus Christ. And so the spirit testifies alongside the water and the blood. So what are we to do with this? Well, again, in 1 John, we've seen it being simple again and again, being foundational again and again, and the answer is simple again here. Boys and girls, I could probably ask you, what are we to do if Jesus' life and death And the Holy Spirit himself testifies to us that the gospel is true? We're to believe it. We're to listen to these witnesses. In verse 9, we see this argument that is made here. 
If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. This is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. This is what's known sometimes as an argument from the lesser to the greater. That we know that we can believe the testimony of certain individuals, especially as they make vows, as they make oaths, in some, in some ways in the court system, as they you know, perhaps place their hand on the Bible and say that they vow to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. We know that there are times that humanity lies, certainly. That humans lie. But there are also times that we can believe witnesses about certain things. John knows that. John knows that we've been believing his witness as an apostle about these things that he has said about Jesus. But what he's saying here is, if you're going to believe a human, and you ought to in certain cases, how much more should you believe the one who is truth himself? That God himself has testified through his spirit and through the life and the death of his son that these things are true. You see, John knows that he's wrapping up this letter now. He knows that he's about to send this off through a messenger to go around to these different congregations in modern-day Turkey. He knows that soon people are going to be hearing these words, people who are wondering and doubting and hurting, who are beginning to think, should I be believing this? Is this really the truth? And what he's doing is he's pulling out all the artillery now, and he's hammering away. If you believe humans, if you believe the testimony of man, how much more should you believe the testimony of God? How much more should you internalize this testimony, this gospel that we bring to you? It reminds us perhaps of Jude chapter 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. People to whom Jude was, Jude was writing were having very similar problems, it seems. This was not a new thing for them. It's not a new thing for us. People coming in, people doubting, people wondering, people bringing in false and destructive heresies and doctrines. What Jude is telling his audience, what John is telling his audience is, believe these things. Remember what you have heard from the beginning. Remember that Jesus came and lived and died and that that is a testimony to you. Remember that the Spirit himself, the Spirit of truth, is witnessing to you and believe it. Internalize it. Rest on it because nothing that an antichrist or a schismatic or someone who leaves their profession of faith can ever say to you can be more sure than this. And so take this to heart and be able to communicate this truth. Nowadays we know that in order to communicate this truth we need to know the basics. We need to have them down. And that's why a book like 1 John is perhaps so helpful for us. Not only do we need to be reminded again and again and again, but we need to hear it again and again so that it becomes an internal part of us. We know that we live in a world where these things can no longer be assumed to be known. The basics even about God's existence. And if we're going to take this message to a world that desperately needs it, if we're going to apply this message to ourselves, if we're going to remind each other as brothers and sisters within the household of God of these things, we need to know them and we need to be assured that they are true. And so John brings these witnesses and we are to listen to them. And that brings us to our final heading this evening in verses 9 through 12, the testimony itself. The testimony itself. If the Spirit of God and the life and death of Jesus are witnessing to this, what exactly are they witnessing to? What we receive, we see, for this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, 
because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so what is the testimony? What are these three witnesses witnessing about? What are they meant to communicate to us, to John's audience, to all who hear this letter? Well, it's about Christ and the fact that he came as Savior. That he came as Savior. And he came in history. That he is the one who came through water. That he is the one who came through blood. That these were the experiences of his life. That he is not just a myth that we hold up and put all these things in that we already like ourselves. He's not just a faithful teacher who teaches us how we should be good and how we should be moral and yet didn't do anything to save us. He is actually the savior of the world. He's the only one that we should look to. He's the only one who can give us this eternal life. He's the only one who can give us the assurance about it. He's the only one who can give us what these false teachers, what these antichrists maybe were trying to say you can get a different way. God is testifying about this. God, by three witnesses, is testifying that Jesus came in history, that he was seen and heard and touched, that he lived and that he died in the place of his people, that he was the atoning sacrifice for the sins of all who trust in him, for all who rest in him, for all who believe in his name. And that this leads to eternal life. And so we know, don't we, that if God is going to say something, if God is going to go and bring this to us, if God is going to bring this testimony to us on the basis of these three witnesses, it is worth listening to. It is worth hearing more than anything else that we could possibly hear from anyone else during our lives. That this is the testimony that God has brought to us. This testimony is supernatural, and not believing it makes God out to be a liar. We've seen that language already, haven't we? In different places in 1 John. That if you don't believe certain things are true, or if you say certain things are true and act in the opposite way, what you're doing is saying that God is lying. It's quite a charge, isn't it? Especially in light of the fact that John has just said that the Spirit is the Spirit who is truth. He's reminding his listeners, he's reminding his audience that God does not lie. That God is not only always telling the truth, but God himself is truth. That they are to look to no one else for the truth if they cannot look to God. What is he telling us this evening? Well, he's telling us to beware. If God has testified to these things in this way, if these three witnesses are witnessing to us in this way, and someone comes along to us and says something different than what they are telling us, we're not to believe it. We're to flee from it. We're to recognize it for what it is. But it's also a wonderful reminder to us. If you're here this evening and you're believing in Jesus Christ, why is it that you are believing in the truth? Because your eyes were more open than your neighbors who does not? Because you yourself are some way better than others who are not believing? No. This is the work of God for us. Because the Holy Spirit has testified to us with authority and with power. Because Christ has come and done what needed to be done Because as we've seen throughout this book, the entire Trinity has been at work for the salvation of a people for the great name of the Lord. And because of that, we can actually have assurance. We can actually trust in him. We can actually begin to obey, to love all these different things because we know that it's not based on us. 
It's not grounded on us. It's not being built on the foundation of weak and ineffective and faithless and sinful people like you and I. This testimony is meant for us to believe and embrace personally. It's something that comes to each and every single one of us. It shows up there whether we want to hear it or not. And these three testify, they witness to the true gospel that Jesus Christ came and lived and died and rose again for sinners. It's a testimony that's meant to be believed. It's a testimony that's meant to give assurance and wonderful hope to people who are doubting and hurting and wondering, people perhaps like us. It's a testimony that comes from God himself, and it is sure. And the result of this testimony is eternal life, that God is testifying to the benefits that Christ has won for us. That no matter what the Antichrist come and say, no matter what these false teachers come and tell you, that they have the next best thing, that they have something greater than what Jesus has for you, what God, through the Holy Spirit, is saying by the hand of the Apostle John is don't believe it. Because you only find life in Jesus Christ. You only have life if you have Jesus Christ. As John is concluding his letters, he's wrapping up the things that he wants to say. He wants these people who have heard him again and again to say these different things to be certain of this. What is one thing that we find throughout 1 John? So that you may know. So that you may believe. We can perhaps rephrase that. So that you can trust and have assurance and be reassured. That's what the Holy Spirit wants for those who are trusting in Christ. Not to be thrown around and wondering, wait, how can I possibly know if this is true? How can I know, can I have something better other than Jesus or outside of Jesus or beyond Jesus or behind Jesus? He wants us to know and to be assured that what we have is what we could possibly ever need. That there is no salvation in anyone else's name because only in Jesus Christ do we have eternal life. In verse 12, that idea of having the Son is having him as Savior, and that's great news because it means he has you as well. And as we've heard again and again throughout this letter, John has told us who this Jesus is. That he is the one who is the propitiation for our sins. That he is our savior. That he is the one who has given us everything. Even as he says here, he is the one who in him has eternal life and gives that to us. Brothers and sisters, this is the one that we're trusting in. This is the one that we have three witnesses telling us about. This is the one whom we are supposed to believe and rest in him. Again, it's simple. It's either yes or no. Either you have the Son and have life, or you do not have the Son and do not have life. Either you're trusting in Jesus or you aren't. Again, John doesn't have to repeat this because he's already said it in this letter. It's not that you're going to trust perfectly. It's not that you're going to be sinless because we know that is a hopeless endeavor, but that you are trusting in him or you are not. You are looking to Jesus or you are not. You are resting in Christ and Christ alone, or you are resting in someone or something else. You can give yourself grand titles, as perhaps the Antichrist were doing. You can proclaim yourself as one who is walking in the light and who has God and all these things, who is loving God and all these sorts of things that they were saying, that they were piling up in front of people to deceive them. But if you do not have Jesus, John is saying you do not have eternal life. You just have lip service, you just have empty titles, you have empty boasts, and ultimately you have no blessings.
And so, so we consider this as we wrap up this evening. It's likely that each and every single one of us is going to experience something like what John's audience experienced, if we haven't already, that we're going to see people walk away from the profession that they have made. It's a painful thing. It's a horrible thing. It's going to cause perhaps doubt and wonder. Are we believing the truth? How can we know that it is the truth? How can we know that what we have is what we need? Remember 1 John 5. Remember that the life and the death of Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit, the one who is truth himself, is testifying to the gospel. The brother and sister, you have what you need if you have Jesus. Because if you have Jesus, you have the Father, and you have the Spirit, and you have eternal life. That these are the things that you need. That perhaps one day you will face a choice in your own mind. Do I keep believing this message? And the answer that John continually tells us again and again on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is yes, keep believing it. Keep believing what you have heard from the beginning. Believe these witnesses. Believe the Holy Spirit. Believe the life and death of Jesus. And know that you have eternal life as a result. First John, in very many ways, is a very simple book meant to give us assurance, meant to remind us of what we've heard from the beginning, even in the midst of the suffering and pain and wonder and doubt of this life. But as with many things, the simple things are the things that we need to hear the most. The things that we need to hear again and again and again. That we are to repent, that we are to believe in Jesus Christ. We are to trust in this. We are to receive this gospel by faith. And to know that in that, no matter what else comes in life, no matter what someone comes and says to us or tries to convince us of, or the pain and suffering and wonder and doubt that creep into our minds, that we have eternal life. Why? Because we have the Son and he has us. Brothers and sisters, this is the message of 1 John. This is what the Holy Spirit would have us to know as we come to this epistle. May it be the same, may it be true of us throughout our Christian lives. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank you again for this book of 1 John. We know, Lord, that we come through it and we hear many of the same things again and again, that we have John reminding us of many of the things that we have heard from the beginning, but we also know, Lord, that the reason for this is because we need to hear them again and again, that we ourselves are weak and doubtful, that we are faithless, that we wonder, that we experience pain that causes us to doubt you, we experience loss, and that causes us to wonder if these things are really true. We thank you, Lord, that we have these three witnesses, the blood, the water, and the Holy Spirit himself. We pray, Lord, that you would keep us in this belief, keep us in this faith, even as we wait for the great appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, at the end of all things. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.